0: This podcast is brought to you in association with Bloomsbury India. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Kitabi Karwan podcast. It's Valentine's Day and in today's world, dealing with romance, sexuality, relationships and just any sort of equations with people of different genders or of different sexuality or for that matter, people within your family has become a very unique proposition, particularly in India. With the clash of modern values with traditional culture which can also be cloaked patriarchy today's author has done a fantastic job in her new book dear men masculinity and modern love in me to india is a book by prachi gangwani who has interviewed hundreds of people from both genders to talk about the evolving nature of relationships and equations in a world where the modern collides with the old without giving anything away let's jump right into the interview Hi, Prachi. Welcome to Kitabi Karwan. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast, particularly because of the book that you've written. I've, I think I've, I really, really wanted to have explore something like this, just in a personal capacity with, and I have with a lot of friends and family members, but I think this would make for a very interesting conversation. Uh, so Prachi, this is something that I do, uh, for all my guests, whenever they come on the podcast, uh, we live in a fairly public world and your book deals a lot with it right i mean it i mean i remember reading one of the creepier instances of someone finding you on tinder and then googling you and then finding your contact details and reaching out to you so you do understand what i mean when i'm saying like it's a fairly public world but uh, just to be on the uh, f- let's say fun side of things I always believe that authors have a side of themselves which they keep hidden away from their readers, right? For whatever reason, it might be privacy, it might be just kind of embarrassed about it. But uh, would you like to share a side of you which probably isn't available on the internet, which you might be, I don't know, open to sharing with people? Maybe something to do with your work or your writing or something, I don't know.
1: (laughs) So, well, first of all, thank you for having me here. I'm I'm also just as excited and your very first question has got me even more excited because this <laughs> is something I wasn't expecting to be asked <laughs> at all. So, <laughs> uh, well, okay. I mean, there are a lot of things, of yeah. course, but... Um, I suppose one thing that people find surprising, people are surprised by when they when they learn about me, which I suppose people who know me only on the internet or through the internet would would engage, I imagine,
0: mm-hmm.
1: is that I am full of self doubt. Like I am the probably like one of the least confident people in in any given room, you know. So. I try very hard to conceal that but Mm -hmm. I think that's my dirty little secret
0: (laughs) and and it's I mean first of all it's clearly a secret because you don't really come across as a person who has self-doubt I mean from my bare minimum interaction with you but and it's I I think it's a very relevant segue into your book right I mean this just general idea about you know you having self-doubt but kind of protecting yourself by projecting a certain kind of image and when and that's I think that's what happens with literally every human being I think our insecurities and things that I don't know maybe consciously or unconsciously are kind of affecting us we try to hide it from the world or grapple with it and that leads to certain kind of interactions with other people but uh so Prachi what what exactly got you to write this book I mean I it's a supremely relevant book I think in today's time I think I personally found it extremely beyond insightful I think I mean there were a lot of things that I read and kind of I know probably empathy is the right word that I could draw from the end after finishing off the entire book I kind of and not just with vis-a-vis my interactions with women but with other men as well probably just kind of puts because I think that's something most men suffer from as well the ability to not really converse A lot about deeper emotional things or things that that are their insecurities with them. But what kind of nudged you towards writing this book in the first place?
1: Sure. Um I think, well, it started off very innocently, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. I was working at IDiva, I was covering relationships and sex for them. Um, Mm -hmm. IDVA is a women's lifestyle magazine. So I was Mm -hmm. talking to a lot of women for my work Mm -hmm. there. Um but what I realized while, while doing that was that, you know, women's experiences in relationships and heterosexual relationships specifically, there are a lot of things that are common. You know, a lot of women in their 20s, which is what I was, you know, which is the age group I was interviewing at the time, had common experiences. And these are women who come from different walks of life. So I, I kind of, you know, um, I mean, it started off with the idea of uh, writing a dating guide for men which was a very misinformed idea. I admit now, four years later, I think it would have been a complete disaster because, you know, who am I to write a dating guide for heterosexual men? But that's how it started. And um, to do that, I started talking to men. Um, But when I started talking to men, I realized that, you know, there are uh, a lot of experiences that men from different walks of life also go through when it comes to dating and relationships, marriage, uh, that are that 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 have patterns that are common, and I believe that you know if there is a group of people that is going through similar experiences or that has similar traits, then you know it's more than the individual; it's the group mm-hmm. of the society or the culture. Mm-hmm. So that's really how it started. I started talking to more people, more men. I reached out to friends of friends. I reached out to people you know online. I started posting questions on Instagram and uh, men from all over the country started responding. I spoke to some of them. I met some of them, you know, did, did these extensive interviews and that's how it kind of came together.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, again, I keep coming back to this word because, I mean, I, I to be very honest, when I found out about the book and uh, a couple of weeks back when I was talking to a couple of friends of mine when I was telling them about the, kind of the authors that I'm going to be interviewing and this book came up and it really sparked off a discussion because uh so I come from a, a college where so for me this uh I don't know it's all I mean I think this conversation is also going to be a little bit personal for me because I am trying I all literally all of the questions that I'm coming up with are just drawn from personal experiences right so they kind of my uh let's say awakening we let's say what we call our uh i wouldn't re- really like to call it woke awakening but my interactions with say feminism or the idea of being able to how deeply ingrained problems are for women as opposed to just a simple you know oh, all women are you know men and women are equal that's how it should be right that deep understanding came from college and uh college was a very different experience in terms of experiencing and understanding these things and what I realized is that the same experiences weren't shared by people across the college-going spectra, right? And uh, a very personal experience for me was when I think it was the 2010 or fourteen World Cup, for the football World Cup, and there was a match between Brazil and Germany. And I think uh, Germany played really well against Brazil. They were winning 7-1. And uh, there were, so someone, I was part of the school group, like a, a group of school friends. And um, they, they most of them were football uh bobs. I wasn't, but I was a part of the group. And someone changed the name of the group to like you know, uh, this thing Brazil, uh, Germany raped Brazil or some something along those lines, like indicating that. And I mean, I just like said, like, guys, this isn't cool. And there was just one more guy who on the group who actually echoed the same. And I figured that was that. Like obviously they changed back. But a couple of years later, the same group had uh something where I, I figured that okay maybe this was you know at least helped the conversation change things and there was a couple of years later there was a message on the group which was again misogynistic in who it was but what was surprising was the response on the group because it wasn't the response i thought it would be someone just posted oh siddharth's on the group so you kind of don't post this here Rather than mm. like kind of acknowledging this thing, so for me like that that became a very weird standout point that well conversations also change because of these kind of notions that it not necessarily the person is changing. So I know what what's your experience been particularly like because you write a lot about coming to moment. Like I think you you mention it on your uh, in your title. You do mention it throughout your book, and as stellar a point it has been for uh, initiating conversations there is this contention that, you know, just that I drew from this example, that what probably the Me Too movement has done is made people politically correct rather than kind of change genuine perceptions or about how they feel certain actions should be perceived towards women. So because you interacted with a lot of men and women about this, what's your uh, I know experience been? in? Do you sense a genuine change or is this just more of a, I don't know being politically correct and not being called out kind of culture that's nonexistent. Like
1: I think that uh, it's along the entire spectrum. I do believe that for a lot of people, men included, it has been an awakening of sorts. You know, yeah. because what has what has the movement done? The movement essentially what it has done is that it has given us the words. It has given mm. us the vocabulary to talk about our experiences, and this is true for both men and women you know yeah. before me too i do not remember any sort of a public discussion discourse around sex so you know me too the whole movement in my opinion has not not just in my opinion this is based on the interviews i've done for the book i've learned that it has been an awakening for a lot of people both men and women you know um, essentially what the movement has done i think for us more than any sort of policy change or any sort of paradigm shift, I think what it has really given us is a vocabulary to talk about our experiences. You know, because before Me Too began, we didn't really have a public discourse around consent, around sexual boundaries. And even women didn't have a way of understanding that, right? A way of saying that these are my sexual boundaries and these were violated. So, and similarly for men, men also didn't have a way of understanding the concept of consent or the concept of sexual boundaries or the fact that they can be violated right um so i think i think as far as uh what the movement has done for us i think essentially this is what it has done for us is that it has started a discourse around consent and sexual boundaries and you know it's something that will take a long time to change in terms of changing the culture, changing policies around it, etc. So for men, also, I think it's, you know, the the responses have been along the spectrum. So on the one hand, I have spoken to men who have had, you know, who've kind of gone back and reassessed their behavior, and are continuing to do so. And, you know, have kind of, it's been, the movement has kind of been eye opening for them, and they're approaching their dynamic with the women in my life in in their lives very differently right um, and on the other hand there are men who feel almost threatened by the by the movement and who feel like they you know being politically correct is kind of uh, how they guard themselves against it right so i think it's along the spectrum
0: and that's quite uh, interesting because uh... And i'll tell you why because this idea of a spectrum existing for thoughts i mean as as common and as simple as it is it's somehow very difficult to grasp because um, because my next bit that i wanted to talk about was about online dating right and or like just and particularly because of how the how the lockdown has been for the past couple of years almost all kinds of dating has kind of shifted online a lot of your interactions have shifted uh, to the internet so, I was reading something about, you know, it was a tweet or I don't know, something on social media, I don't even remember where, but uh, something about how the idea of ghosting, right, or gaslighting are terms which just we've discovered them today, but these aren't new concepts. These are things that have just been happening for kind of ages uh like maybe earlier ghosting was uh like maybe 20 30 years ago used to exist in the spectrum of an arranged marriage wherein you know one party would kind of reach out and then it's not hear from the other side and now it's just gotten more uh coherent in terms of what it is so i mean wh- i mean from your again from your interactions what what made you what's why does this happen a lot more in I know in terms of online dating why why is it that people end up and this is something I know I am I might be wrong here in terms of how it's perceived but I sense that there's a good I mean there's a good 50-50 split in terms of you know women ghosting men men ghosting women so in the first place why are people so I mean in are, I mean I'm I mean, I know if inconsiderate it's the right word to use but to the extent that if you do not wish to interact with the person why is it a simple let's you know, let's not talk anymore for X, Y, Z, whatever reason, or uh, missing thing from the protocol. What's, why Why do you think that's been happening?
1: I think that's, I mean, par- partly, I think that's just the nature of online interactions, right? Or interacting um, yeah. through a gadget. mm mm-hmm. Uh, lack of a better word because you are you are one screen removed right or two screens removed from the object of your interaction so it's not I suppose there isn't that kind of pressure or or expectation from your own self to behave a certain way to act with courtesy right Right. Um, and that's just a very general broad kind of explanation that I'm giving you but of course there are specifics as well like for example one person I interviewed uh, who uh, uses all the dating apps out there, right? He's, I think, 25, or he was 25 at the time that I interviewed him. He's active on Hinge, he's active on Bumble, Tinder, everywhere. And we talked about ghosting a lot. And like you rightly said, he's been ghosted, and he's also ghosted people. You know, so his his reasoning is that he he thinks that it's perfectly okay to ghost someone you've only chatted with once or twice because you've not invested in that person, there's no emotional investment. But if you meet them, you go on one date and maybe they're expecting a second date or or a third date and then you ghost them, then, you know, that that's not nice. So I think there's also some of that. There's a reduced sense of responsibility towards the other person because, you know, chatting doesn't seem like a big investment.
0: You know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned put it in that context with that example because I think it also reflects this weird idea about... There's, not a weird idea for that i'm sorry but just this concept about there's this lack of communication and understanding of what where people are coming from because i know and however unreasonable it is there are a few people who get invested in that one conversation right for them that is enough for them to kind of feel uh and abandoned or like let down simply because you know you had a conversation with someone it was a good conversation and suddenly that person stops Kind of responding. I mean, I get the other side as well, but it just reflects this weird lack of communication or understanding as to where that other person's coming from. And obviously, I mean, it really changes over time when you start knowing people better and kind of what works for them or what doesn't. But that kind of brings me to what I want to talk about next. And I mean, then this is also going to be a lot of um, stuff based on empirical observation rather than personal experiences because I'm not married. But how modern marriages work, to the extent that a lot of people, like a lot, a few of my married friends, my parents, and like family, and like other married people I know in life, often they just the root cause. And this is something I think I saw on uh, Brain Pickings earlier, right? Uh, this is really interesting website, and they ha- it had a quote which is always stuck with uh, stuck with me. It goes somewhere along the lines. So I'm trying to paraphrase, but the idea is that at the heart of a sulk, when you're sulking, lies a very weird kind of love because your expectation from the other person is that your uncommunicated ideas must be understood by that other person. And because he or she hasn't, mm-hmm. that is why you're upset with that person, right? So it kind of has multiple layers to it. So, but again, this is something that I'm seeing has emerged a lot more in like modern marriages, wherein, and I think you do talk about it a bit in your uh, in your book very dark. And obviously that, is, that has happened with how cultural and societal norms have changed as to how there are a lot more women who are working, who are a lot more independent, who are kind of exercising their roles as, in very explicit terms in financial fields, like they are financially not dependent on their partners. And they're able to kind of, they, the expectation now as is very different as opposed to what it was earlier. So... What I'm sensing and seeing is that, well, despite this being an openly acknowledged thing, right, I mean, when you know that your partner is going to be working, why is this discrepancy still existing, wherein I've I've, I've seen situations where a woman is more financially independent than the guy, like she's making more money than the, the guy she's married to, but somehow the expectation of her taking on more burdens of the household is still higher, and I know, and the thing is, this doesn't explicitly ever come out. I have, I'm. This is this has happened to close friends, wherein I've been part of those arguments to the extent, you know, as an arbitrator or something. And I've just sometimes I've chimed in, sometimes I haven't. But it's always been about, well, this is I can see it clearly as this is something that needs to be said and hasn't been said. But why isn't it coming out? And it's not just from, uh, like say women not saying things. It's on from men as well why is it that i mean and i don't know uh i mean i get the obvious answers to it that you know society is structured that way to make men feel insecure about not being providing enough or to make women feel bad about not uh contributing to the household enough even though they are doing um, more than enough job so what has been your experience and how have people or couples that you've spoken to navigated through this
1: Um. So I didn't actually interview a lot of married couples, the number of, I mean the percentage was really small of Mm -hmm. the married men or women that I interviewed, I didn't interview any couples together Mm -hmm. but that said the few that I did, we did kind of talk about how domestic responsibilities are divided and how are you know gender roles and expectations changing in marriage um, and this is a discussion that I also had with the psychologist that I consulted for the book, yeah. you know, in terms of, like you very rightly said, you know, I think the the changes in terms of gender expression for women have been much more in the last few decades than, than as compared to men, you know, men are kind of only just beginning to question their role as a man in society or in in relationships um, or at work or any aspect of life, right? Um, So I think think it's a work in progress. And I think the reason why people, uh, both men and women find it difficult to kind of challenge in the moment is because there's just so many things that are changing, right? And there's so many things that we are challenging that we are fighting for. For many women currently who are working, they are pro- they're the first women in their entire family to be working. You know, mm-hmm. they're the first women breaking out of that mold of being homemakers. Mm-hmm. Similarly, for many men, they are probably the first men in their their families who are married to a working woman, and what right. that means for them, for the marriage, for the family, etc. Yeah. Right. So, just the very act of having a job for a woman and for a man marrying a woman who has a job is a fight right, right everyday right, right so i think there's just so much that we are fighting on a daily basis so much that we are questioning on a daily basis that sometimes it just becomes difficult to uh, challenge certain kind of certain things that in that moment feel small because you're you're fighting right. fighting a much bigger battle
0: right and I mean, I'm I'm not going to pester you about solutions because I think uh, that's just going to be, I mean, something that people explore, I don't know, together as couples or as this thing, because I don't know, I, I just, it just that one of those things, right, I guess, where you can't really have one hat fits all solution. It's just, it yeah. just isn't one of uh, those ideas. But Prachi, I'll just take a step back from the book and kind of, uh, I would want to ask you this, or... Uh, so, I generally don't ask writers this question because I think uh, to each their own in terms of expressing their art, but particularly because of this book and as to how it's structured and you know um I have this question: why did you choose the form of a book? why not uh, say a blog or like a, something like a YouTube channel or I don't know a little bit something that would have been more interactive would why not that forum and or in fact, instead of that, why not just buy just a book? What made you move to I know you're a writer that's why I mean I get why there will be that natural affinity towards kind of penning these things down but the idea in itself because of how broad and amazing it is and the kind of potential it could have had in some other mediums uh, why not those
1: so I'm definitely uh I, I think there are two parts to that answer to the question. So the first part is why a book and why not other forms? Um, I was actually already writing a ton of articles about relationships. And, uh, you know, when I first started talking to men, some of those conversations and interviews were also published as articles. Um, So I was doing a little bit of that already. uh, And I've continued to do that while working on the book also. But why a book? I think that I grew up reading, you know, uh, more than anything else uh, in my life, even including formal education. I think what has really shaped me as a person is reading the books that I chose to read, right? Um, Outside of my course books or textbooks. Um, So I think it's probably just my way of giving back. Um, And I think books, I mean, call me an old school romantic or whatever, but I do think that books uh, outlive any other form of art, but I might be wrong. <laughs>
0: you know. No, I, I really I, hope you're not.
1: I have a whole lot of bad belief.
0: No, no that's, that's the perfect answer for me to hear. <laughs> and, and I completely agree with you there. And I guess, um, personally for me, I think uh, what kind of just... Again, I think for a writer it's like the best thing possible, right? Because I think you very naturally just express yourself better. And I think for a reader that comes across very clearly when you're reading your book. I was for a second I couldn't really put down your book. So but I'm I'm so glad that you again reaffirmed like a very commonly held notion that most writers are like voracious readers in general. And your answer kind of reaffirmed that. Could you tell us a bit about that? like what got you into reading? Were you just always naturally drawn towards books or uh, was there were your parents pushing you towards it? and how did this happen? Um,
1: I think a little bit of both. um My dad is an avid reader, so i've I've grown up watching Life. him read. My mom always encouraged me to read, and I still remember she used to get me these story books, which I've been trying so hard to find now. I don't I think they're out of production or something. But when which I Which ones I'll uh, I i do not remember the names, but I'll describe them to you because they were they just like unlike any other storybooks I've ever seen or read. They were in like they were cutouts in a doll shape, and they had like four fur hair on the cover, and yeah. the hair Came in like different colors, so there was an orange, okay. there was a turquoise, green, like the full spectrum. Okay. And okay. the books were probably like twenty pages, you know, okay. uh, just one story per book. So and and my mom got me the entire series, so I had like probably twenty of those,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's the first book or the first like kind of series of books that mm-hmm. I remember reading. Yeah. And I don't remember what the stories were about, none of that, but I remember the the visuals of that book, the shape of the book and everything. Yeah. So yeah, so I think I had those influences growing up definitely. Uh, my brother is also an avid reader. Um, so books have always kind of just been around. Mm-hmm. Yeah
0: okay and and i really get what you mean when, when like not about not being able to discover that first book you read because i was lucky enough to kind of uh, figure out those books uh, for me not the books that you mentioned i'm so sorry if, if i misled you right now but um so i used to have these books i don't know if you know them called Karadi tales they used to uh, right so i used to love them as a kid and like that's really one of those those first things that i remember reading and listening and everything and uh So I kind of had forgotten about, not forgotten, but just, you know, slipped to the back of my mind. And suddenly one day I remembered and I couldn't really, like I spent like hours trying to remember the name because, and Mm. I didn't really even know what to Google (laughs) to kind of find the details because, and I didn't remember it. So I remember there was some popular voice, but I couldn't remember the exact voice of, uh, it was Nasruddin Shah's voice. But uh, yeah. when the name uh, came back and I just Googled it, uh, so it popped up the intro song and like the song they played at the beginning of each book. And I, I was just like in tears, like of joy, you know, like listening to it again. So it's I get that journey. But uh, so I just yeah. have, I have a few more questions for you. So you mentioned that, you know, you would, I mean, it was in context of books, but again, it kind of brings me back to what you were talking about, about the idea of being an old school romantic, right? And I think that's one idea which we haven't really discussed during this podcast about, and I and I can't believe we haven't discussed romance when we're talking about men and women interactions. But uh, yeah, so rom- like romance in itself has undergone like so many changes from, and particularly in the past decade, like we've just gone from, um, I don't know, this idea of o- opening the door, hold the chair for her chivalry to kind of trying to put forward a far more, equal form of let's say wooing the other gender and, and that goes for men I'm sure it's the same for women as well but something that I've been struggling a lot with is actually are two things are a the depiction of romance in art particularly in movies as to how because of simply because of how far they reach it's largely the same across media but so, and I had this question a lot when uh, this movie, if I don't know if you remember, called Ranjana had come out. It had Dhanush and Sonam Kapoor in it. And it, I remember this being a huge topic of debate then about uh, promoting stalker culture and about how, uh, and the argument from the other side being, well, we're not, we're depicting reality rather than trying to kind of create change. So, do you think that, uh, I know, how, how much has modern culture or like, you know, the way artworks art is being depicted today is affecting people in their romantic lives? Because, and, 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 and I add a huge because here, that over the past 10, 15 years, uh, there's been this whole generation and like following generations who've been exposed to Western ideals a lot more, right? Someone who was growing up in the 80s or the 90s kind of wasn't as exposed to western cinema or books as say someone who is today like right now i'm sitting in india and i'm reading like say japanese books or watching japanese movies right so obviously there, there's a lot of impact in terms of how you look at people and how you kind of romance them or how you look at life like no longer is your married life supposed to look like one of those k series on star plus right it, you you have a lot more like maybe you look at i don't know friends or how you met your mother as to how you interact with people just off the government yeah. So again, from your interactions, have you? What's your pick been on how romance has kind of it, what? How are people viewing romance these days? Is it is there a very I don't know nuanced thing? or have people lost faith in romance because that's also something that's been happening with over the past ten, twenty years. Has been just given that we are in a very existential phase of existing, right? Like I mean, climate change and with the lockdown and people actually caring about the effects of overpopulation and things about thinking a lot more about how companionship works is there a marked difference in terms of how people are viewing romance is romance now just as earlier it was seen as a kind of a tool leading towards permanent companionship now well that very notion is being challenged whether you want a permanent companion for your life or not you're not necessarily averse to the idea of companionship but just whether the permanence of it what has your observation been, particularly like with for Indian men and women? Is there a noted departure from kind of what old school romance talks to us about, or is it largely the same?
1: Hmm. Hmm. I think definitely there is um, um okay. Again, like I feel like there are there are multiple parts to this question. One is that there is a uh, growing disillusionment with a uh, very overt expression of of romance or very overt romantic gestures. You know, that is no longer equated with genuine feeling or desire or love. So that's one aspect of it for sure. I think that um, not just questioning the need for, you know, a, a life term is what I call, you know, uh, marriage or or committed or permanent relationships not only in terms of questioning that but also just the sheer fact that you know someone giving me a, an expensive piece of jewelry or buying me flowers does that really mean that they have feelings for me not necessarily or me doing that for someone else does that really mean that I am you know madly in love with this person not necessarily you know like one person even told me that I I do like romantic things for anybody and everybody I date but because that's just my way of making the other person feel nice Mm -hmm. that may not be because I'm committed to them or you know I'm in love with them it's just I just like making people feel nice Mm -hmm. and that's what it is right so there's definitely that one aspect of it where where romantic gestures have been detached from feelings Right. right There's also this other very interesting aspect, which I think is very closely related to what you were saying earlier about movies, right? And how movies shape or influence relationships and how we express ourselves is that um, I think it's, it's largely because of Bollywood movies that this whole idea of the you know uh, big fat Indian wedding has become even bigger and fatter. Right. <laughs> this idea of getting down on one knee and proposing to someone is something that Indians have learned from Hollywood movies. Right. right. Um, and like even like you won't believe the kind of influence that Shah Rukh Khan has had on, you know, <laughs> Men in our country and even women in our country, right? right? I think also the notion, the idea of love and the definition of love that many people have is definitely defined by uh, the movies with, that we watch, right? And it's not just relationships, right? It's also fashion that is influenced by movies, decor that is influenced by movies, so much is. So, but when it comes to relationships specifically, I think that while uh, having a big fat wedding doesn't necessarily uh, mean that you're going to have you know, you're going to live happily ever after I think there is kind of like increasing glorification or aspirational value attached to these grand romantic gestures
0: mm. Right, That that's very interesting because you know when, when you were talking the only thought that was going through my head like particularly when you were talking about those gestures is that Earlier, they used to be things that you, you know, felt like doing. Now, these are they're kind of turning into things that you feel you ought to do. Like, you know, kind of those checkbox kind of things that, I mean, I, I remember, so this is, this is I remember discussing this with uh, a couple friend of mine who got married last year, where they've been dating for about three years. Uh, they got engaged and post their engagement, but before their marriage, they had a separate proposal right I mean this has become a thing like uh, my cousin who recently got married they've been dating for about four or five years they got engaged but they still had I know they did and it's it's sweet I mean I get it I mean it's this nice thing that you're doing for each other or whatever or but that kind of idea just didn't really sit well with me or like I know I didn't kind of get the logic behind it why are you proposing to a person who you're kind of engaged to already and you've been dating for four or five years kind of knowing that this is where you're heading but um this Prachi but we are unfortunately running out of time so I have a couple of more questions for you just quick ones uh you mentioned you're a voracious reader and there have been books that have kind of impacted you a lot uh so I won't ask you to name your favorite books I think that's a crime no one should be subject to but uh could you name like books that have impacted you or shaped you as a person or shaped your views towards things it could be something as simple as an like, I don't know a math textbook problem that you read that made that book important to you for certain reasons. But anything that has, sh- any, or any set of books that have kind of majorly impacted you as a person?
1: Sure. So, uh, I mean, it has been different things at different stages of my life. But I think one thing that has kind of become a very core part of my personality is, uh, uh, you know, I'm an existential. I studied philosophy, and uh, I'm an existentialist. Sorry, I I studied philosophy, and uh, uh, in my second year, I was introduced to existentialism. So I read a lot of Sartre, um, etc. And I think that that is something that continues to be a very core part of my personality. Is you know, the the fact that we all have the freedom to choose and the responsibility to choose our lives and how we want to live them, and with that also comes a lot of anxiety and despair. So, to answer your question in simple terms, I think uh, a lot of literature by Sarth, for sure, has influenced who I am. And other things as well at different stages of my life. Like I said, you know, like I really liked um, Deepa. I I like Deepa Narayan's work. You know, she's only done one. She's done a lot of other work that I really like. And, you know, that book, for instance, um, has kind of made me um, question um, uh, or kind of come to terms with how I, as a woman, silence myself, right? So, which is again, like a very... Uh, kind of a significant journey that I went through intellectually and and I mentioned this book and not any other because you know I reread it recently so it's fresh on my mind so like that of course there have been a lot of books that have influenced me but I would say yeah Sarth probably is the one author who has who continues to you know
0: uh
1: yeah, <laughs> stay on my yeah. mind. <laughs> so yeah. yeah.
0: No, I, and I, again, this is one of those staple questions I make sure I always ask for a writer because A, it kind of gives me, it increases my reading list, explores, you know, lets me explore the world in a much easier way. But it also gives me a very beautiful insight into how people think or, you know, how different things stand out for different people. Uh. But lastly, Prachi, so, I mean, this is a non-fiction piece of work and you, because you write a lot, it has... Has a fiction idea been something that you're working on? Do you think, will we see something from you in the future, a fiction book? Or is there a non-fiction book in the pipeline? What's next? What's happening?
1: A um, lot of ideas right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. There may be another book or there may be, like, I think, okay, let me just take this uh, as an opportunity to put my wish list out there. So, please, <laughs> please. I really- that you know i believe manifestation how it, it comes to yes. through, yeah yeah so i think uh what i want to do next is i want to write a web show so if okay. anybody is listening any producers out there you know <laughs> <that are> looking <laughs> for, a new for, for their web show i i, mean, I, I, I really <laughs> hope
0: web show producers are listening to my podcast i really do hope so <laughs> yeah
1: okay. that'll be
0: interesting. That'll be interesting. So is this this a particular kind of web show? Do you have like a sketch or something in mind, like broad ideas? Where do you want to go with that web show? Yeah, Koi web show.
1: Right now, I'm just so uh, freshly done with this book. I mean, it's been only two months. Um, I don't... I'm just taking the time to kind of just, you know, bask in this (laughs) before I uh, sit and think about new ideas. But yes, I do have... One Google Doc where I keep putting like story ideas that I'm supposed to flesh out and that doc is called Flesh These Out for Web Show. So, (laughs) you know, you don't
0: it feels so good to know that writers and aspiring (laughs) writers have the same habits (laughs) having these google (laughs) docs with story ideas out there which are supposed to be fleshed out it's very reassuring to know that but um thank you so much for joining us today on this episode and i really hope your web show comes to fruition sometime (laughs) soon and we get to see your name on the credit line and i get to possibly interview you again for that web show but thank you for joining us today. This thank is a yeah yeah. Thank you for joining us. This was a this is a fantastic book. I really can't stop recommending it enough. And I I mean, I know I almost said this on almost every episode, but I actually made it a point to recommend this one to a lot of my friends. So thank you so much for writing this beautiful book. And yeah, hope all the success comes your way.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for your kind words and thank you for having me here. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Bye.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, please check us out on all our social media platforms. We are available across all podcasting platforms on YouTube, on Instagram. You can find us at the rate Kitabi Karwan on Instagram, or just search Kitabi Karwan on Google or a platform of your choice, and you'll find us. We carry out Instagram lives, giveaways, we talk about books, we talk to bibliophiles, talk to authors, and basically try and create a reader's world through all of our platforms. Do check us out and don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Thank you.